welcome to this Herbert Smith Freehills Brexit podcast. I'm Sarah Hawes, Head of Corporate Knowledge based in London. This podcast is the latest in our series focusing on the impact of Brexit on business as we get closer to Brexit date, 29th of March 2019. Today I'm joined by Christophe Navrot, a partner in our corporate group based in our Dusseldorf office, and Antonia Kirkby, a professional support lawyer based in London, both of whom have particular experience and interest in group governance issues. Brexit will, of course, affect the lives of companies in numerous respects. Most of these will relate to their commercial activities, their access to the UK or to continental markets, or to the financing of their business, especially for the larger companies. In this podcast, though, we want to look at one specific company law issue that businesses need to know about to be prepared for the potential impact of Brexit on their group structure. The issues that may arise from the contrasting positions that different European countries adopt in relation to the seat or the legal home of a company. The key question is under what conditions will companies originating from another jurisdiction be recognised as full legal entities in the other country or countries where they conduct their business. Under the current EU regime, Article 54 of the treaty says that, and I quote, Companies formed in accordance with the law of a member state shall be treated in the same way as natural persons who are nationals of that member state. These companies will be entitled to full freedom of establishment and may establish themselves without any restrictions as agencies, branches or subsidiaries in any member state. And any discrimination in comparison to nationals of that member state is prohibited. And of course, this provision benefits all EU incorporated companies including before Brexit, UK incorporated ones. So Antonia, um, perhaps we could start with you and the UK position, uh, just broadly of course, as the analysis for each company and each group of companies will be slightly different. So the UK, the Netherlands, Switzerland and several other European states follow the incorporation theory. This means that in those countries, the law that applies to a company is determined by the jurisdiction in which the company is incorporated and has its registered office. For example, the seat of a company incorporated in England is England, and it will be recognised as an English company and be subject to English law, even if that company conducts all of its business elsewhere, its directors and managers live elsewhere, no business activities are conducted in the country where it has its registered office, and so on. Likewise, the seat of a company incorporated in the Netherlands is the Netherlands, regardless of where its business is conducted. The incorporation theory, also known as the statutory seat theory, gives flexibility to a company and its shareholders to manage the business wherever they wish. They simply choose the relevant company law which they wish to govern the affairs of the company and incorporate it in that country. For example, it's thought that many entrepreneurs have elected to incorporate in the UK because there are no minimal capital requirements for private companies. Where a country applies the incorporation theory, it's very straightforward to verify what laws apply to that company and its legal status, including whether its shareholders have limited liability. The incorporation theory allows free movement of the business of a company. Generally speaking, there's no problem with moving the business of a company from one country to another, as long as both countries involved follow the corporation theory. Both would still recognise the country where the company is incorporated as the seat of the company. The place of incorporation can only be changed in accordance with the laws of the jurisdiction where the company is incorporated. And many countries that adopt the incorporation theory don't allow a, place, a company's place of registration to be transferred to another jurisdiction. 
In the UK, for example, if a company wanted to move its place of incorporation to another jurisdiction, it would have to undergo some form of restructuring, such as dissolution under English law, and a merger or transfer of its business to another company incorporated in the other member state. For example, by way of a cross-border merger, the continuity of the legal entity will only be accepted if it's provided for in the laws of the transferee state. Okay, thanks, Antonia. I think that's pretty clear and easy for me anyway, as an English qualified lawyer to follow. And Christoph, can you take us through the different position in Germany and some of the other European states? Yes, I'm happy to. Uh, Germany, Austria and other predominantly continental European countries follow the so-called real seed theory, which means that the determining factor for a company's seed is where the company is effectively being managed, e.g. through its headquarters. A company may be incorporated in one country, but in reality be managed in another country, and under German law it would be that second country in which the country had its seat. The place where the legal address of the company is located, the so-called statutory seat, is generally considered as a mere indication of the seat that would only apply if other criteria are inconclusive. As a consequence, when the seat is effectively located in a place different from the place where the company was created or has de facto been transferred to another state, the legal regime of that latter state will become applicable. This allows states to exercise a closer control on entities operating in their territory. The purpose of the real seat theory, also referred to as seat of management theory, is to protect creditors, the underlying assumption being that the highest number of creditors is to be found where the company is being managed or carrying out most of its business. Some also consider it to be a way of dealing with different types of evasion or questionable behaviors, uh, tax or other types of evasion, bankruptcy, letterbox companies, protecting employee involvement, and so on. The real C theory restricts free movement of companies and prevents forum shopping to find fewer corporate law restrictions, e.g. minimum capital, and as such, a race to the bottom. Consequently, a company incorporated under foreign law, which has its actual seat in a real seat theory country, is not recognized in such country as a foreign company. So, for example, if a German parent company incorporated a subsidiary in England, but in reality that English subsidiary was managed by the same directors based in Germany, German law and the real seat theory would say that the subsidiary does not have its seat in England, but rather in Germany. Depending on the real seat country, either the existence of the subsidiary incorporated elsewhere is not recognized at all, or such company is requalified by the real seat country as a general partnership, with the adverse consequence of unlimited personal liability for all partners. Likewise, a domestic company from a real seat theory country with real seat in a foreign country loses its existence and is liable to be wound up in its home country or foundation unless domestic law of such home country specifically permits the real seat to be in another country, as is the case now with certain German corporations since 2008. Okay, I have to confess, Christoph, I find that trickier. As an English lawyer used to incorporation theory to, to follow, um, I'm surprised, to be honest, that the real seat theory subsists under the EU treaties which, of course, require member states to facilitate free movement of capital and freedom of establishment. 
Uh, yes, that's it's very understandable, and you have hit upon the problem exactly. There are a series of decisions of the European Court of Justice, inter alia the now famous trilogy of Centros, Übersering and Inspire Art, that held that such a restriction, if made by the country of destination, violates a company's fundamental right of establishment as between member states. For example, in the Centros case in 1999, the court held that there was nothing to prevent a Danish couple from forming a company in the UK with a view to undertaking business in Denmark through a branch. The court decided that it does not matter that the company conducts no business in the member state of incorporation, but all business is in the member state of the intended branch office. Further, it does not matter if the incorporation was only done to circumvent the minimum capital requirements of the member state of the intended branch office. The Übersehring case from 2002 is of particular relevance as it relates to Germany. In that case, the district court of Düsseldorf dismissed an action by Übersehring BV, a company incorporated and registered with the courts of the Netherlands, due to the fact that by then it had its real seat in Germany and the shares were held by German citizens, but it was not registered there. With reference to its earlier Centros ruling, the court decided that the German court decision was not in line with the freedom of establishment under European law. These rulings were confirmed and underpinned in some later judgments, e.g. Sevich, Deutsche Shell and Cartesio. So this basically means that there is an unconditional obligation for all EU member states to recognize a company which is validly incorporated in any other member state as a legal person. However, such case law becomes irrelevant as regards companies in the UK as of 29 March 2019, once the UK leaves the European Union and the treaties and their fundamental freedoms are no longer applicable to the UK. Thus, as between UK and EU27, the restrictive effects from the real seed theory will become relevant again, absent any specific agreement, of course. Let me give you a real example of the principle in action. In 2008, the German Federal Court of Justice decided that a public company incorporated in Switzerland, which is of course neither part of the EU nor the EEA, but with its head's office and most of its business in Germany, should be treated as a partnership under German law, as it did not comply with the minimum requirements of German law to be a public limited company. A German partnership does not offer its partners to limit their personal liability and its creditors were therefore able to look through the Swiss company and make claims directly against its shareholders, or should we say its partners, and their personal assets. Wow, I mean, the consequences of this can be really serious. Uh, Antonia, have we got any sense of the number of companies that could be impacted by this? Uh, I'm thinking, for example, of companies incorporated in the UK that are managed elsewhere in Europe. Um, I guess it's a very difficult thing to gauge. This reviving of the real seat theory once the UK ceases to be a member state of the European Union on 29 March 2019 will, of course, work in both directions. But in terms of numbers of companies affected, we expect there to be a disproportionate impact as between the UK and the EU27. The UK is an attractive forum for companies wanting to set up a European base and access EU markets. As we've said, it has lower minimum capital requirements than some other states and does not, yet anyway, mandate employee works councils or employees on boards with the administrative burden that that can bring on companies. 
The number of companies with legal form under UK law and with real seat in an EU 27 member state could be hundreds of thousands. Um, and Tony, what about the draft withdrawal agreement? Uh, is there anything in there that might help UK companies in this situation, i.e. incorporated here but managed in Germany or in Austria? Or are they simply going to lose their limited liability overnight? There's nothing in the withdrawal agreement that we've seen yet. So absent some reciprocal rec- recognition or transitional provisions, we could find a number of UK registered companies being treated, for example, in Germany under German law, as partnerships with shareholders liable for the liabilities of the company. OK, thanks. Um, Christoph. what is it then that you would recommend UK companies and groups do about this issue now? Well, owners and directors of companies which may be affected, and in order to be absolutely on the safe side and not to be dependent on the outcome of the negotiation of the future relationship amongst the UK and the EU, and the provisions of transition in the withdrawal arrangements, if any, need to think about what they want to do in order to avoid the potential negative consequences, in particular personal liability in the real seed country. So now they may need to think about reorganizing their structure prior to Brexit. This could be achieved either by merging the company into a company established under the law of the real seed country or of any other EU27 member state in accordance with the cross-border merger regime or by incorporating a company under the law of the real seed country or of any other member state. Such reorganization would have to become effective in good time. Given the potential complexity of such reorganizations and the time they can take to execute, companies in question are left with not much time. If there is no completion prior to the effective date of the withdrawal, such companies are then dependent on the future relationship between the UK and the EU27. Well, thank you very much for your time, Christoph and Antonia. Lots to think about. Um, I think the key takeaway is that we all have our fingers crossed that the withdrawal agreement is approved by both the EU and UK at parliamentary level and that the UK and EU reach an agreement during the transition period on some sort of reciprocal treatment for companies so that any issues which could arise don't. Uh, But until we have that certainty, it's prudent for businesses to think about the future effectiveness of their group structures in the particular context of their businesses and, of course, in light of any possible no-deal context. You have been listening to a podcast brought to you by Herbert Smith Freehills. For more episodes, please go to our channel on iTunes or SoundCloud and visit our website herbertsmithfreehills.com for more insights relevant to your business.